0: so we're going to shift into a time of the word. And I'm going to invite you to go to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to shift from Acts chapter 2 into the book of Thessalonians, or the letter to the believers in Thessalonica. And right in Acts chapter 2, we've been looking at how the Spirit has been poured out on all flesh, on all people who believe in Jesus for the importance of Repentance for sins, but also this empowerment to witness. Empowerment to witness and to live for Christ. And we're going to pick it up in verse 27, sorry, 37, before we switch letters. And so Peter has stood up. He's addressed the assembly of people. The Spirit has, in fact, been poured out. People are speaking in tongues. People are speaking in other languages. And the miraculous acts of God are being proclaimed in their own language. And so Peter, after everything that's happening, everyone is, is saying out loud, like, this is wonderful. Peter, what must we do? We're seeing some wonderful things. We're hearing wonderful things. What must we do? And he says in verse 37, here's a refresher. When they heard this, they were pierced to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We all enjoy receiving gifts, don't we? This is the precious one from on high. And he says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. Just stop there for a quick moment, a refresher. We found that this is a saying. This was a label standing for those who were stiff-necked or stubborn or rebellious and unfaithful to the call of God. And he goes on saying, So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And let's look and see what happens in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And here's a wonderful thing that brings us today, because it's Thanksgiving weekend. Today we're meeting together in this house, this temple, if you will, but we're a temple of the living spirit of God. And we will be going here later today to meet around our tables with sincere hearts to give thanks. To give thanks. And so I want to turn to the book of Thessalonians. And it's a pretty powerful letter to the believers in Thessalonica. There's a lot going on. I don't know if the last time you read that letter. But I have to tell you, as I was reading through the letter to the believers in Thessalonica, I was deeply encouraged because this letter is set apart from all the others in that Paul deeply commended the believers in Thessalonica. He was, he was marveled, if you will, at their great faith. Their love for God, but also their love for one another. And so the message title for today is Standing in the Will of God. Standing in the will of God. This afternoon, I'm thankful that we can stand in the will of God. And so today, because of Thanksgiving, this, you know, just where we are in our series, everything just lined up perfectly for where we are on this holiday and realizing all the blessings that we have. And so as we go to First Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul has talked about the day of the Lord. This wonderful day when Jesus Christ will return. His sign in the sky, in the heavens, will be well known. There'll be no mistake that his return has come. And he says to them in verse 12 Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you, and to regard them very high in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves and we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always, pray consistently, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna stop there. And so we're gonna focus on this statement rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything. Give thanks in everything. You know, this is a tall order, isn't it? To give thanks in all circumstances. You know, I don't have to give a poll, especially to family in attendance, that I'm not perfect in that regard either. It's a work in progress. Let me put it this way. Is anyone here, uh, you know, enthralled in physical fitness? We all have those moments in times. Maybe it's in the new year. Maybe it's after Thanksgiving when we have stuffed our bellies, so to speak, with sincere hearts, right? But it can be difficult when you say, man, I want to loose the cage, as the fitness uh, people would say. I want, to, I want to, you know, throw off this mortal shell of this, this flood from the feasting. And there's this work in progress, they say, in order to lean out. You can't just say it or even believe it's possible. You need to actually do it. There's something to believe it's possible, but then to actually do it. This is something that I've been working on. I'm trying to fit into my sport coats, you know, all those kind of things. And it got me thinking about this passage to bring it home here. It's very relative. Rejoicing always is not an easy task. And you know, we were at the fair the other day with our kids, and there's the long lines, and you're waiting, and you're thinking, man, this is taking forever just for the kids to get on like a one-second ride. And you catch yourself thinking, well, I'm not being very thankful. I mean, I, I'm healthy. I got, you know, breath in my lungs. Things are good. I'm enjoying time with my family. But these little thoughts creep in. Well, those carnies should stop talking. They should get people going, right? It's a work in progress. And I got to love with this letter, and we're going to go to our first point here, is that we want to be thankful for the reputation that we have in Christ. And that's what, I, that's what I mean by that is this. Paul, when he wrote this letter, he starts off right in the beginning in chapter 1, verse 6. He says that you imitated us and the Lord, and you received our message in spite of severe persecution— with the joy from the Holy Spirit. And then he said, your work is produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance because of the faith in Jesus Christ. I like Paul and how he's commending the, the brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. I'm thankful for this reputation that we can have in Christ because of who we serve. That when we focus in on who Christ is, Not only what he has done, but what he's going to continue to do in our life. Our life will overflow with thanksgiving. Our life will overflow with thanksgiving. And so just for a moment, go to verse, uh, in chapter 1, in 1 Thessalonians, chapters uh, 1, verses 7 to 10. Now we'll just start right at verse two, actually. He says, We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by, and here's a word I forgot, hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. This can hit home for us. He has chosen you. Because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance, you know how we lived among you for your benefit. And you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. And here's a beautiful part we want to park here for a moment. As a result... You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything. Here's the wonderful thing, that when we're focused on Christ and what his message brings, it brings hope that we're not only forgiven that he who paid the price on the cross at Calvary, he is going to return one day and he's going to rescue those who are afflicted. He's gonna rescue those who are persecuted. He's gonna deliver all who are trusting in his name. And this is the outflow of the thanksgiving that was part of the people in Thessalonica. It was their reputation. I couldn't help but be introspect and ask myself, Andrew, What's your reputation? Is your reputation as one in Christ who gives thanksgiving, who gives thanks? Or is your reputation the opposite? What reputation do we have? But here we see the believers in Thessalonica, Paul is commending them. They have this tremendous faith, but not just a personal faith, a united, common faith. And that's why we started in the book of Acts because it said they had all things in common. They were devoted together. They were praying together. They were feasting together like we'll do later today, hopefully. You're having turkey or ham or something. But they're remembering the one they serve and all the many blessings that he's poured out and will continue to pour out. So point number one, thankful for the reputation we have in Christ. Point number two we're going to go to here is we're thankful. We need to be thankful for the heritage we have in Christ. Make no mistake that in Jesus, there's a thing called long-suffering. We know this Christian walk isn't easy, and that's another reason why I love, I really deeply appreciate this letter to those in Thessalonica, because it wasn't a fairy tale. The very moment that these believers gave their life to Christ, their whole world changed. They were known for their reputation, they were steadfast, but they came at a price. They were deeply persecuted. But Jesus said, when the world hates you, remember, they hated me first. So for a moment, let's turn to Acts chapter 17. And you may be wondering, well, what was going on? Why were people all up in arms? Why were people unhappy with these believers in Thessalonica? What was going on? And it's good that we can go to Bible and we can see how there's the answers that we're looking for. In Acts chapter 17, the title eloquently says, Paul's short ministry in Thessalonica. It says, after they passed through the Amphilus and Oponia... They came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. But some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a leading number of women. We see here, it's it's very clear pointed that Paul, every time he went into a place, he first would stop and visit his brothers, if you will, because Paul was a Jew. And so he would go into the temple and he would talk, he would converse, and he would seek to persuade them, not in word only, But as we read earlier, by the power of the Holy Spirit, those two need to be balanced, it's very important. But he goes in and we see some people are receptive to the message and others are not. And we touched on that last week. Sometimes when we share, it'll be received, but sometimes it'll be rejected. So we see here, it's kind of like all different churches that we have in the region and the Jews here were getting bent out of shape, if you will, because there was a great following occurring. The people were leaving their synagogues and following the way, following the way of the risen Christ, the Messiah that they believed was the sent one of God, the very son of God. And of course, they weren't happy about this because they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed he was a great prophet, but not the sent one to take away their sins. And so the Jews are upset, and rightfully so. You know, when people get upset, when they get out of bed out of shape, if you will, they start to gather a crowd of like-minded people. And so they start going to the officials and start stirring up trouble and stirring up a city against these believers. So remember, Paul commends the believers, again, your faith, right? Your work produced by faith, sorry. Your labor motivated by love in the midst of severe persecution. Because the reputation mattered And they knew that their heritage in Jesus also included some suffering. Let's pick it up in verse 5. But the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city, attacking Jason's house. They searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has welcomed them. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset. And after taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. And so as soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a large number of prominent Greek women. But when the Jews from Thessalonica found out what the word of God had been proclaimed to Paul at Berea, proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and upsetting the crowds. Then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who exhorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instruction from Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. And so we see here a little background story, if you will, that there's rioting going on. There's people here, the Jews and city officials have banded together against the believers in Thessalonica. I think this can hit home for many of us that when we want to live for Christ, we always face those united crowds, don't we? We want to live according to the moral character that Christ gives us, right? Right? that we can be hemmed in from all corners at times. That's what it feels like, right? And so we're no different from those in in Thessalonica, but they were steadfast. They believed in who Christ was, and Paul rightfully so wanted to encourage them to continue the course. How many people here know that when you face circumstances of affliction, persecution, that you may be tempted to tuck your tail and run? The word persecution means oppression, affliction, slander, both overt and subtle. That's the definition. Sometimes we think persecution just means death. That's when we're martyred. But here, Paul makes it very clear that you will face persecution. They are facing persecution. But what I love, and we're going we're gonna to park here next, is Paul wasn't focused on the size of the crowd. He wasn't focused on the size of the enemy or their bark because he was commending and focusing on the people's faith. At the end of the day, this Thanksgiving, I am thankful for this wonder-working power that we have in Christ because of our faith in who he is that we don't want to be succumbed to the size and the numbers of the crowd, but rather be steadfast. So point number three, be thankful for one another. If we go back to our our letter to those in Thessalonica, Paul again says, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He goes on in verse 24, He who calls you is faithful. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You know, as I was reading this letter and jotting down some of these points of observation of this letter to the Thessalonians, I was moved frankly, very deeply of being moved in thankfulness for all of you. But also thankful for the universal church that together there's no greater time than the present for us to band together. We need one another. In Thessalonica, I love that Paul, again, he focused in saying, you people of great faith, you're motivated together in your love for one another. In the letter he says, continue to love one another as you were already doing. This is something that is ongoing. It's a continued work in progress. And we know that we need a lot of the things that Paul gets to in the rest of this letter. And so for a few moments, when we look at being thankful for each other, let's reiterate what he looked at in verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you. And regard them very highly in love because of your work because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. You know, sometimes, and forgive the repetition, but sometimes, as Paul says here, we need to be there to warn those who are idle, but also encourage those who are timid. At times when we're hemmed in, that we want to just fit in. We just want to fit in with what is popular. And so Paul is encouraging them to resist that urge. Here's something interesting I found about uh, Thessalonica. It was in the northern region of Macedonia. South of that region was Athens. Athens. And in Athens, we have the great Mount Olympus of the Greeks that housed their so-called gods. And so for these people in Thessalonica, it was tradition to pay homage to the gods. And if they didn't, if they didn't pay that homage, they were afraid that the gods would strike against them. And so you could imagine, if you will, that when there was a great number of people turning to faith in this risen Jesus, the Son of God, that there would be upheaval as a result. And so Paul, so eloquently and rightfully so, tells them, exhorts them, warn those who are idle, help the weak, be patient with everyone, and see to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good. Like, I get it, I mean, I've played hockey, we've all played contact sports. When someone, you know, does something to you, hurts you in one way or shape or form, you want to respond in kind, right? So if you're, you know, bro, we're playing hockey, someone levels you a big body check, you want to lay out an even bigger body check, right? If they kind of laid you out, you want to lay them out so they don't get back up. It's just natural humanness, right? But Paul is encouraging us to go that extra mile like Christ. He said to love your enemies. And I believe on the one hand, there is something to say about defense. I'm not saying that we're not to defend ourselves. Because after all, David went out against Goliath and said, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine giant. I will go and fight him. But that's because the enemy was at their doorstep. Here Paul is saying, don't go seeking a fight, but rather seek to be kind, to love one another. And I think if we are focused on everything that we've been given, when we're poised to rejoice always, to pray constantly, we will be in that sphere, if you will, in that place, and where we will not be inclined to lash out against one another. When we realize that our brothers and sisters in Christ want the best for us. And I, I have to believe that the believers in Thessalonica, they were of one accord. But they were having one big uniting factor in their life. And I'm going to wrap it up with this. The hope that they had in Jesus. And what was that hope? The hope of the resurrection. Sometimes, you know, we can say like, oh, that's just the Sunday school answer, right? The resurrection is so important because people in Thessalonica were worried. They were idle and even weak because they were afraid that their loved ones had missed out. Think about that. They thought their loved ones had missed out, that because they were not alive, that they were believing Jesus was going to return at any moment, that they were going to miss out on this reality. So Paul says, I don't want you to be like those who are without hope. Let's go to chapter 3. He says, we don't want you to be unaformed brothers and sisters concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say to you by a word from the Lord, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. And you've got to love this imagery. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, in light of all of this encourage one another with these words. And so you got to love, in the midst of this persecution, they're being hemmed in from all sides by religious Jews, by city officials telling them to stop it, some even being persecuted to the point of death, and yet they're being encouraged, whether you're asleep or awake, we will both be with the Lord forevermore. There's nothing that they can do to us. They can beat our body. They can even afflict us to the point of death, but That's not the last word. Jesus has a last word. And with the voice of an archangel, they'll be raised to new life. And so you can imagine those who are idle or even those who are weak are now being stirred by Paul's words. Wait a second. What I'm doing matters. What I'm doing this side of heaven before Christ comes matters. I want people to have the same hope that I have because Jesus is returning. What I say matters. And then I can trust that the Holy Spirit intertwined with my words will stir hearts so they'll be receptive to what the Lord is saying. And he wants all of us to come to repentance. And so the three points here, to be thankful this Thanksgiving, be thankful for the reputation that we have in Jesus. And I'm gonna ask the worship team to come. Thankful for this heritage that we have in Christ, that in the midst of long-suffering, We have the hope of the resurrection. And number three, in the midst of all this, be thankful that we have one another. We're not in this alone. Think about it. Here's a visual, fire for effect. As you sit at your table with your family or friends and you're eating turkey and hopefully some stuffing and other delicious foods, take stock of who is at that table. And at moments you might have, a, 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 for a brief moment as I just did, you'll realize also who's not at the table. But yet we can have the hope of the resurrection that those who are long departed, we will be with them again. And so we can be tremendously thankful for all the many blessings that we have in Christ. And when we're persecuted, he's with us that when we're engaged in long-suffering is for a purpose, to draw people to faith in Christ. And we have the hope of the resurrection that we're all going to be gathered together with Christ one day at the return of the Lord. And that's the tremendous love that God has for us. He's patient. He doesn't want anyone to be without that relationship with the Father. Because He doesn't want anyone to experience eternal destruction, the Word says, that those who don't believe in Christ... That when he comes, if they didn't receive his word, that they will be outside of his glorious strength and might. And so let's just be mindful of that also as we, you know, as we come to a time of worship and, and even as throughout the week, that what we say matters. And we want people to come to faith in Christ. Yes, we know the results aren't on, aren't on us. Amen. That the Holy Spirit speaks through us. And so I encourage you, even with everything that I've shared and and made note of, I encourage you to read this letter because I I promise you, it'll stir your heart. It'll encourage you because these brothers who have long since departed, that they're asleep in Christ, they're with the Lord, that they too will be raised to new life in beautiful symmetry at the same time of whether we are asleep or alive ourselves when Jesus returns. One big family, one big reunion with the Lord in the sky. A tremendous thanksgiving, if you will. A breaking bread with Jesus. And so I'm going to offer a word of prayer uh, as we close the message and have a time of responsive worship. Lord Jesus, thank you for the example of our brothers and sisters that have gone before us. Thank you, Lord, in the midst of of difficulty, whether affliction, oppression, slander, whatever those things that are going on even in our lives here today, Lord, we thank you that you're with us. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have of the resurrection. Thank you that we have one another to encourage one another, to lift each other up, Lord, that when we become idle, that we can encourage each other to stay the course. Maybe when we become timid and wondering, you know, in fear of why God hasn't intervened in different ways, we can encourage each other that you are faithful, that you will work all things together for our good. Lord, this Thanksgiving, I thank you for this church. I thank you for each person that is here today. No one's here by accident, so I thank you, Lord, for those who are faithfully partnered in this work, who have faithfully given of their time and even of their resources. God, we give this to you. We want to grow. We want to grow in number like those in the book of Acts and even in Thessalonica because of your great name being declared, your marvelous acts being declared in and through us, Lord Jesus. Be honored in our midst as we stand in your will to overflow with thanksgiving always. In Jesus' name. Amen.